Okay, and the recording is now in progress. Uh, good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming to uh, the first quarterly Human Resources Committee meeting of the year. So uh, can we take, okay, Taff is giving us the fist, okay. Um, so can we get roll call now? Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Esteen is absent today and Trustee Jensen. Here. We have a quorum, thank you. Thank you. I, I wanted to welcome uh, Trustee Banerjee for joining the committee. She had been busy with other items and now she's able to join us. So welcome to the committee, uh, Kinkini. I think you've been on the committee before in the past. Um, thank you, Trustee Blue. I'm so I'm really excited to be part of this committee. In all my years at AHS, I have not been on the HR committee because the meetings were often in the morning during my work days. So this is really uh, such a great opportunity. I'm glad to be part of this. This the work of this committee is really close to um, my heart. Okay, I had no idea it was held during the mornings in the past. But anyway, welcome. Glad to have you on the committee. So with that, is there anybody in the public that wants to make some comments before we proceed? Okay, you don't see anybody, Amon, raising their hand, okay. All right, with that, then we'll move on. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2022. And uh, it's gonna be a better year, let's hope. All right, so um, I'm gonna switch off and get onto the agenda. So bear with me for a second here. Okay, so um, the first item on the agenda was approval of the minutes from our last meeting in October, but Trustee um, Jensen, not Trustee Jensen, Trustee Esteen is not here today. So we are gonna take that action to approve the minutes at the following uh, HR committee meeting, because uh, it was only uh, myself and Jennifer Esteen that were at that meeting. So I cannot approve it on my own. But did anybody have any questions about the minutes? Okay. So I'm gonna turn it over to Lorna Jones, our um, human resources uh, <clears throat> director with the human resource dashboard. And then we have Lynn Velasquez, VP of Human Resources. And I don't know if people were able to meet her at the last meeting, but I'm gonna turn it over to Lorna. Sure. So Ahmad, if you wouldn't mind sharing our screen, please, or putting up, bringing up our slide deck. We're gonna start off um, with Lynn presenting the HR dashboard. Thank you. And everybody can see the uh, slide deck and we can bring it up to the HR dashboard portion. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so our time to fill number uh, did go up. Uh, we did go over our benchmark a little bit, uh, but that was due to filling uh, some uh, very hard to fill positions and also some key leadership vacancies. Uh, we filled the CNO position, clinical education uh, director position, yay, uh, finance, pharmacy, and radiology. So um, that was a good achievement, I think. We're on a good roll there. And for time to onboard, uh, it did go up, a, it did go down actually a little bit, but we didn't meet our, um, our uh, target goal, uh, but it is coming down. And uh, because of the COVID uh, mandate uh, for employees to get their vaccinations, uh, that did hinder our ability to onboard people in a timely fashion. Uh, it was due to the employee health 
having to um, uh, handle all of the uh, employee testing and uh, uh, monitoring uh, the requirements uh, in that regard. But we did fill approximately 760 uh, requisitions for quarter one and quarter two. So that was a good achievement on the part of recruitment. And for the residents of Alameda, those numbers have held steady. Uh, for the current employees, it's hovering about 61, 62%. And our external applicants, that's a pretty good number, although it did dip down a little bit to 51%. And our new hires that uh, came uh, on board were comprised 56% uh, of the residents of Alameda County. Do you have any questions on this particular slide? Okay, let's go on to the next one. Uh, for workers' compensation, we did see that tick up a little bit and the number of workers' compensation injuries also, um, even though that did uh, dip down, uh, the number one uh, workplace injury has to do with patient handling. And so the organization is uh, on track to create a safe patient handling program uh, with Beta Healthcare in order to bring this number down. Any questions on this particular slide? Yeah, I have a question on that. Is it uh, due to not having equipment or not using the equipment correctly for lifts or not enough um, people lifting patients? I could probably speak to that. Um, so from what I understand in meeting with Beta and also with our employee health director, that it's mostly um, that we haven't been doing the routine type of training that we need to do on a frequent basis and annually for safe lifting practices. And so um, that's one of our goals um, that Beta is incorporating, incorporating into the safe patient handling is to do those trainings and to involve our nurse leaders in facilitating those. Well, Mark has his hand up. Yeah. <clears throat> Trustee Blue, great question. I think um, this is uh, a system snapshot. <clears throat> and I think the devil is in the details here in terms of digging down in and saying, is it a nursing unit? Is mm -hmm. it all of nursing? Is it EVS? Is it, you know, who knows what areas um, this could mm -hmm. be? Is it lab? <clears throat> and I think we need to do a deeper analysis to see where the main injuries are, and subsequently then what would be the mitigation we could do to help the area? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And we should be able to get uh, that data, mm -hmm. right, Lorna? Okay. Okay, I do like that, I do like that. I have that. a question. Are any, um, any lost days due to COVID charged to workers' comp? Does that ever occur? Great question, um, Tracy. It, it's very rare. So I will tell you that um, of most of um, the contact tracing events, they've been found to be community-borne um, illnesses. So it's, it's you know, a few percents maybe from what I understand from employee health. And that's um, data that I received at the beginning of the year. Thanks. Okay. I, I also I, had a question. Yeah, I have a question as well. Sorry, uh, James, did I interrupt you? Go ahead. Nope, please. I'll go. You first, Kenny. I'll follow. Thank you. Um, and when we do, one is I was going to ask Mark exactly about the granular level data, about where that is happening. But right now, the plan, the safe patient handling program with beta healthcare, would that be irrespective of where the you know pain points are, uh, quite literally? Would that be happening across the system or do you want to like roll it out in um, first in the in, in, in certain facilities only? Um, we haven't determined that. We do have a meeting set up in February to discuss with leadership, um, including our new CNE, um, to discuss how we should or which way, which which way we should roll this out and which way would be most manageable for the system given our current limitations with COVID. And um, mm -hmm. so that's something that hasn't been determined as of yet. And I think that 
last question that I have around the uh, safety training is it so that I know there's like one for patient care areas. So I imagine that in different departments, it's different safety training, correct? That is correct. Um, I, I, the one that we've been concentrating on um, or focusing our interest on was um, nursing. However, we would do a similar training for, um, you know, facilities, EVS, where they also have um, heavy lifting and, you know, frequently incur injuries. Okay. Uh, just to help, uh, excuse, uh, apologies for my ignorance. Can you orient me to this chart? What is the meaning of the red arrow? Does that mean it's trending up or does yeah. it mean it's above the benchmark? What, what, what is the intended meaning of the red arrow? Is above the benchmark. Okay, so because yeah. we, we see that we trended down mm -hmm. uh, on workers' comp, but we're still above, okay. Yeah, so maybe, still above the benchmark. You want it yeah. to be below 50, like for the number right. of workers' comp injuries, and hopefully this patient, uh, the safe patient handling program will mitigate some of that and bring those numbers down so that uh, we are acting in a safe uh, manner at all times. Yeah, maybe uh, uh, consider just a key on that column just to uh, identify what that is. It could be a stoplight or whatever. The arrow suggests, uh, sorry, in my interpretation, that it was trending up, but then I saw the 72 to 77. I would agree. That was the point that I was going to make. I was curious about what was the nomenclature around the arrow. And I agree uh -huh. with Dr. Bouquet, with Chair Bouquet, that, you know, perhaps saying that the arrow indicates the desired direction. And then yeah. if it's green or red, that mm -hmm. lets you know whether it's going the right way, but just some kind of clarifying nomenclature would be helpful. Okay. We'll make that improvement. Thank you. All right, any more questions on this slide? All right, next slide, please. And here we have our turnover uh, rates. And as you can see, our rates went up uh, in the uh, Q2 FY22 quarter. Um, the overall turnover for the system annualized is at 20.89%. Uh, so that was up from 15.95% uh, from the previous quarter. Um, the number of, excuse me, the first year that's annualized and the second year annualized I'm very concerned about those numbers. They really went up uh, from the previous quarter uh, from 41.38 to 49.47 for the first year. And then for the second year went up from 21.58 to 37.82%. Uh, um, the top term reasons are still uh, resignation. Uh, we did have a number of employees that were terminated for non-compliance uh, in the areas of uh, vaccination requirements um, for flu and for the COVID uh, and also for the annual competencies. Uh, so that was the second uh, reason. And then we had a number of retirements and also failing probation. In the nursing, um, we have the annual turnover rate uh, that also went up from uh, the, the overall um, uh, indicators from 19.12% to annualized 27%. And for the first year, it went from 41.27% uh, to 73.39. And for the second year, it went from 34.90 to 58.82. Again, the top term reasons here is for resignation, also for non-compliance and retirement. Uh, one of the things that we uh, have decided on doing as uh, an organization uh, on December 9th in our department leadership meeting, we decided to do two uh, socialization um, uh, strategies to try to mitigate this. Uh, the first one is to assign a buddy uh, two new hires or transferees coming into a person's department. And the other really is to uh, have more of a communication plan uh, with employees overall, whether that be uh, welcoming a new employee using a board 
or uh, including them uh, and making announcements in their um, in their huddles. Um, so I'll be tracking that to see if we can make um, a, a dent in these numbers and bring uh, those rates down. I think it's really important uh, that we make people feel welcomed uh, and that we also have um, uh, improved the um, uh, employee and supervisory relationship and uh, demonstrate our commitment to them uh, as an organization. Lynn? Yes. <clears throat> Just a quick question. In terms of the very first metric there, overall quarterly, you're stating that 21% of our staff are turning over on an annual basis, correct? Yes, that's annualized. For the quarter, okay. it was 5.2%, mm -hmm. correct. So in order for it to be 20.89 from a 5.2 would mean that three quarters, it's well above 20%. So I'm wondering how you're calculating the percent, are you adding together the percents from every quarter to get to 20? I believe that we are adding, we're, we're taking the, Karen Skillman, can you help me on this so we're on point on this? In the um, turnover uh, rates for monthly, we take that and we annualize that by 12. We, we multiply it by 12 and that will give our annualized factor. Because if you take the 5.22 every quarter, take it times four, it's about that 20%. Yep. And, and that's, I'm just wondering about the math here. That's what we're doing. We're taking the quarterly amount and multiplying it by four to get an annualized figure. So it's saying that if that, this is Karen Skillman, by the way, sorry. Um, <clears throat> it's saying that if, if we continued at that same rate every quarter, a, for a year, it would be at that at that annualized rate. So that isn't an actualized annual rate. The actual annualized rate is probably somewhere between what five and eight percent. Well, we'd have to run the whole annual uh, numbers, um, but for the one quarter, it was five point two two. Then times right. the four is getting the annualized amount. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, because if you just just if you keep going down, 74% of our nursing staff within year one is leave. That's what that's saying. That's, I think, a predictor, uh, right. Mark, if we continue on that trajectory. Yep. Right now it was 18% for this quarter, uh, which was 40, ter 40 terminations. Um, and if you multiply that times four, it's, it's an estimated annualized amount. Um, we had a lot of terminations the last two months. Um, we, in, in, we hit over 90 uh, mm -hmm. and 99 terminations in December. We had 90 the time before. And prior years, you know, we were averaging about 50 to 60 terminations a month. And now our average is up to 75. Um, but we had really high terminations in November and December. And a lot of that is because of the non-compliance. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of employees were terminated, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, for non-compliance of flu, uh, for non-compliance of licensure and um, uh, COVID. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you for that. I, I have a quick one, uh, and I guess this is a general one. Aren't these data consistent with the so-called great resignation suggesting one in three Americans are gonna leave their job? And um, I, guess, I guess that's just my comment to the experts in the room. Is that, so is this, are, these, are these data sets unique to Alameda Health System or how variant are they compared with our industry? No, they're, they're pretty high uh, across the board. And I was uh, going through Beckman's review, looking at some of the stats. And on a national level, the, um, uh, the average turnover rate used to be back in 2019, about 16.7. And now it's up, to, uh, up another percentage point. Uh, so we are seeing it, I think, across the board. It's higher in some of the geographic areas within the United States 
on the West Coast. It's a little bit better than on the East Coast and also I think the uh, the um, uh, in the South states, Georgia and all those states are seeing a high number of turnover. Um, and there was the uh, highest level of resignations occurred in the month of November. I think it went up from 4.3 to 4.5 million Americans decided to, to leave their jobs uh, for whatever reason. But um, yes, this is part of the uh, continuing uh, great resignation wave or as I call it, the tsunami. That's why I guess, I mean, even the annualized, when you take the quarterly rate of 10.32 for nursing staff and like annualized it, I thought that was alarming, but the 73, 74%, like if you take a monthly, that is just seriously um, sobering. But as you said, that covers November and I guess we are trend uh, was consistent with the national one, probably greater than that. Which is like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That 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 one covered October to December. So. Yeah, it is alarming. I think employees are really driving the market right now, and if they don't like where they're at, they're going to leave for whatever reason. You know, in in our circumstance, we are seeing people relocate though out of the Bay Area or they're just relocating out of the Bay Area because of the high um, real estate market. As you know, that's kind of um, uh, really hot. I know on the peninsula, homes are selling for over $2 million, $3 million, $5 million. And so that's driving some of the workforce out uh, to other geographies within California or out of state to where they can afford a house. So, you know, those we really can't control, but what we can control here is how we treat people and make sure that they feel included uh, when we do hire them in order to keep them. The, the, the numbers that we're seeing in the first year turnover rate, I, I feel is very alarming. And that's why I think the socialization strategies uh, should help as with rounding uh, and making sure that um, when we do assign people, uh, a, a person, a buddy, uh, that we also check in on that relationship to make sure that those needs are being met. And in terms of the nursing turnover data, are we basically on average the same as the rest of the country? Or are we a yes. little bit higher? We are, okay. We're high, we're high, but it's, it's high in some in some of the um, uh, different geographies across the uh, nation, up as 40% in some areas. And in the specialty areas, they're being very hard hit. ICU, telemetry, step down, ED. One other question. I know that uh, two years ago, at least, uh, the exit interview of whether they happened or not, it was very spotty and we didn't really have a system of having like consistent exit interviews for folks. And I did see that um, that the, the, the mention of exit interview dashboard, how, how are given the volume of folks who are leaving, resigning, terminated and things like for the ones who are, uh, do exit interviews happen? And is that for, um, fairly consistently and then also like how are those data being like some of the, that being used to tweak like employee engagement and recruitment, retention um, practices and policies? Oh, uh, that's a perfect segue to the next slide. <laughs> All right, I'll hold, thank you. Actually, can um, we go back to so the last, can we go back to the last slide? Okay. Just to, uh, and I, maybe this is to Karen, if you're the numbers uh, person here, I'm just wondering about the annualization over the quarterly. And I'm wondering, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a math genius by any stretch, but whether these should be averages rather than additive, because a, an annualized uh, uh, turnover of nurses, I, I think we just have to ask, does this data make sense? It's 74%. And I just want to ask ourselves, does that, does that jive or actually is this an average of the quarterly 
which would be 18.35. For example, let's say next month we have 25% of our, our staff. If we analyze that, that would become 100%. So I'm wondering if, again, just checking math, if anyone else wants to chime in. I'm happy to be told I'm stupid and I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I would have to go back and look at the worksheets that we created, but the 18 times four does not equal 73. So I would, let me spend a little time going back and looking at that. Yeah. So 18 times four is. Oh, it is yeah. the 73. It is. So, okay. Yeah, that is. Yeah. So all these are, are times four. They're just times four. So it's just, <laughs> if things were to continue on this way, this would be what the annual looks mm -hmm. like. Uh, we also report monthly turnover to the um, True North metrics dashboard as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we see those numbers are, are high as well. So whether you look at it quarterly or, or monthly, oh, monthly. They, they are both trending up and we're reporting first year and second year. So we have, you know, I think our point on the first year is that we spend all this time going through and hiring people. And for some reason they're dissatisfied and they leave within the first year, which is extremely costly to the mm -hmm. organization. And so we, we want to be tackling first year turnover as best we can with some of the um, processes that Lynn's mentioning. Mm -hmm. So can we move on to the next slide? Cause I know that'll generate a lot of questions. Sure. Can I just can I just add one other thing to this whole discussion? Is I want to make sure people are aware there are several initiatives going on in um, HR where we're looking at um, retention of our employees that go to you know their their career trajectory. You know, do they want coaching? Do they want access to additional education? Um, there are a lot of reasons why people leave it, you know, they're not unique to AHS as far as the great resignation is concerned and people going to gig work, but you'll see later on in our presentation, some of the other initiatives that HR has engaged, um, that we're looking to try to start in, you know, very soon, like between February and April to mm -hmm. retain some of our employees who may be thinking about exiting the organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next slide, please. Um, this is the Exit Interview Work Institute, uh, and this is for the year 2021. Uh, we had uh, 901 terminations in the year, and our exit interview responses uh, landed at 41%. Uh, the top reason is work-life balance and shift schedule, and as you can see, uh, relocation is on the move. Retirement is still going to uh, be probably in the top three reasons uh, as it is nationwide uh, based on the advisory board uh, information that I looked at uh, yesterday. Um, and all, all of the other reasons I think that uh, Lorna will pivot to in terms of the um, uh, you know, career development, um, work-life balance issues, uh, we are going to have other initiatives to address those uh, to add to our retention toolbox. And I also want to note that the exit interview responses is based on just that, you know, out of 901 employees, we got 41% response rate. Yeah. I think well, question, I know I had seen this slide and I know that that is a survey that is sent like a couple of weeks after their departure, right? Or something like that. Yes. So they do. there is no other kind of mechanism for qualitative data where they sit with their manager or something and have like a formal exit that that survey is the only kind of data we have. Right. Uh, we have a vendor that conducts the exit interview. I will tell you that we do do um, when an executive or a leader or a physician asks me to do a formal exit interview, because there is a concern about, especially with somebody who's relatively new tenure, we do perform those. And usually I've, in the last 10 months, it has been me. And I've met with physician leaders and different individuals who have left. 
Any more questions on this slide? Okay. Next slide, please. All right. Okay. Lorna. Thank you, Lynn. Um, so now we get to the fun stuff. So this is all the stuff that we're trying to put together to make this a better place to work. And um, so this is some of the professional development, cultural improvement opportunities that we're, we are engaged in. And I say engaged in because some are already underway. Um, we're starting a career coaching path. Um, a lot of people wanna change um, their particular position. Um, whether it be I'm an RT and I want to be a nurse or I am an admin and I'd like to move into management in some capacity, how do I get there? Um, we're also going to, um, we just finished um, a draft policy of tuition, a tuition reimbursement policy and that's going to ELT. Um, I'm hoping to get on the agenda next week and then that will be presented in the February management meeting. Um, along with that, there's a mentor mentee program. Now this was not created recently. This is a re-up program. So this is a, a revamp of the former plan or program that we had in place many years ago. Um, I remember when I came to AHS in 2015, this program was still um, underway. There was still participants um, involved in the mentor mentee program. And Mr. Jackson has um, asked our OLA team to revamp that program and to restart that. And um, that's what we plan to do. Um, for cultural improvement, we are having a lot of, um, you know, we're trying to do a lot of care for the caregiver type programs and looking at um, one of them is emotional intelligence training that we're going to be um, engaging in in the next, I think we're starting in um, beginning of March. Along with that, we also think that um, uh, there's a lot to be said about affinity groups and how they improve the culture of an or organization and help people feel like they belong. Um, and they also help facilitate networking and, and other opportunities for people to come together. And so I'll have further updates on that. Next slide. I apologize, I still have a cough, so I will try to go on mute. Mm -hmm. um, so the career coaching, we have engaged um, a vendor. Um, we're starting a pilot project um, and it's been tailored to fit the AHS model. Um, this is looking at giving our employees um, opportunity to meet with a career um, coach, somebody who could help you you know, map out how you get to that next position. And it could be many different things. It could be going back to school or it could be taking these types of certification, this type of education, um, you know, doing some shadowing, all different types of activities. Um, we're doing it in a phased approach because it's a pilot and we wanna gauge the success of the pilot. Um, it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Um, we're starting with 15 participants. As you can see, it's a relatively modest cost for $12,000. I will tell you that most coaches charge between $250 to $500 an hour. They're almost on par with what attorneys cost. Um, we hope that if we get good feedback and um, you know, we will present that feedback to ELT, um, that we will engage them to continue on with the next cohort that could be as large as 50 people. Um, but again, that remains to be seen. Um, we estimate that this will start in February, March. It's, uh, the contract is now in our contracts department. We're very excited. We've already had several people come forward and advocate for certain people to be involved in this first cohort. Next slide. Um, Lorna had a question yeah. on uh, who's the coach? So Growth Space is the vendor and they contract with several different coaches. And what okay. we found is Many coaches throughout the United States, they'll come from different backgrounds. We have some that are like more IT, IS background. We have some that are nursing executives, some who are retired CEOs. Um, and so you get to map out and they do a matching process to try to vet who would best fit you um, based on what your, um, your background is and what your objectives are. 
they'll be specific to healthcare, which was why we picked growth space. We looked at other vendors and they didn't have um, a real niche in healthcare, whereas growth space has several healthcare organizations that they contract with. Okay. Any and, other questions? Yeah, and of the 15 participants, what classifications, job classifications are those folks? They're mostly individual contributors and managers who want to continue on in their career objective. Now we haven't opened it up yet. We're waiting for the contract to be finalized and to have a date certain to begin. We've had individual leaders pro-offer people that they think would really benefit from the program. So um, last count before the holidays, we were like at five or six. We'll have the ability to take 15. And so we haven't come up with how best to roll this out, whether we you know, um, ask people to pro-offer it, if we do a lottery, um, we're not really sure how many people would be interested in this first go around. Um, so that's part of you know, something that we're gonna problem solve is best to make it you know, a, an opportunity for more than just management employees to, to take advantage of. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? All right, this is just the parameters of the growth space contract. Um, so it's a series of meetings, as you can see, there are five one hour sessions. This is very common in the industry. Um, and, um, you know, a, a lot of organizations, they purchase a much bigger cohort. We are trying to be fiscally responsible. We wanted to give a benefit to our um, workforce, but at the same time, we wanted to gauge success the success and the interest from our employees. So we're going in with this opt-out option. We can start with the 15 individuals for $12,000 and then um, gauge the success and the interest and then go from there. As you can see, if you purchase more contracts or ability to scale up the cost of the program and cost per, per participant goes you know, significantly down. Next slide. Lorna, what are going to be the parameters for success? How are we going to determine, yeah, we need to spec this up to 50 to 100 to 200? Have we defined before going into it parameters for success? Yes, our OLE team has does have a rubric that they were using when they talked to other healthcare systems about how they gauge the success of using an outside vendor like this. Um, however, um, you know, we're open to feedback, but it's really our OLE director, Arlene Gomez who is creating the rubric and has been the one who's reached out to the other organizations for guidance on um, using the service of this type. Now I won't tell, you know, we have used um, executive coaches, management coaches throughout the years, kind of on a case by case basis. So they're not common, but they're not uncommon, probably a dozen times a year. It usually happens in the scope of somebody has a performance issue or concern, or they have a hurdle to get over within their you know, individual position, or maybe they have a stretch goal, their new leader, for, for example. Mm -hmm. um, this is different in that it really is up to the individual to um, gauge what they're interested in doing. Most of the time we find that people are interested in making a job change and they just don't know how to get there. The, you know, there's there's barriers to them being able to change positions, um, especially within their own, own organization. Mm -hmm. So we plan to do a roadmap for workforce to be able to help people if they have a goal, let's say, of changing jobs, the roadmap of how to get there. And it will be um, something that we internally within HR are going to also help them facilitate. Okay. Next slide. <clears throat> tuition reimbursement. I know I've talked about this before. Um, as many of you know, we do not have a current policy on tuition reimbursement. Um, it's kind of like an oversight um, for the organization. So we do have a draft policy. Um, like I said earlier, we're going to be presenting this to ELT. Um, and then we'd like to review it in the February um, managers meeting. Um, our plan initially was to roll out um, uh, tuition reimbursement um, amounts to unrepresented staff and to ACMEA management employees. And the reason being is we do have um, a current um, 
you know, SEIU ed funds. So employees that are in our largest, um, our largest union throughout the AHS system already have access to up to $5,000 a year. And this year that amount has even increased. Um, and so we do have ways that people can access education if you're in SEIU 10 to one. Um, one additional thing that we're going to be putting out when we talk to ELT and to the management group is, should we be including this for nursing? Um, because uh, although SEIU 10 to one does represent many of our nurses, um, the nurses are not able to participate in the ed fund. Um, so we, we are going to be looking to see if we can expand this. We do have some parameters. Um, I will say they're kind of, I'm sorry, <laughs> they're kind of the common ones that you see in most, most plans um, for tuition reimbursement. You have to be with the organization a year. Um, you have to complete your course um, and get a passing grade and no formal warning. So this doesn't, so this would apply only to having like a written warning, a reminder one or above um, and then manager approval and Again, we're going to be taking feedback from ELT and our leadership management group about whether we should change any of these um, gates, these gatekeepers. Thank you. And right now it's not offered to RNs? Right now, that is correct. It's not offered to RNs. Um, we were, um, again, we, we were going to ask for feedback from our executive leadership group, whether we should roll this out, like many things we roll out AHS in waves or cohorts, like start with this group and then, you know, after a year, start with the next group. However, we're going to be taking feedback from them. We do realize that nurses, um, you know, um, are not part of the Ed Fund, although they're SCIU 10 to 1 members. And so that is something that we're considering. So again, the, um, to the parameters for the program, it will have to be, you know, uh, a, a program that's um, a certificate, associates, bachelor's, master's degree programs that are related to healthcare or job related to the position they're in. That is also a common parameter with most healthcare systems. Um, we have not determined the thresholds. Um, for reimbursement, we do have um, some guideposts. The guideposts and the national averages for healthcare systems is about $5,000 a year. Um, and, and there's many for-profit systems, um, HCA, for instance, um, that offer $10,000 or more for a master's degree program. Um, but this is where we were starting with um, the parameters. And again, this will be, um, we'll be taking feedback from ELT and the management group. Next slide. The next program that we are initiating is the Mentor-Mentee program. And the pilot pro program is going to launch in March, 2022. This is all being done by our OLA team. Um, there's 10 to 15 mentee participants. Um, it's, gonna, it's gonna be a formatted program. We're taking lots of um, learnings from um, you know, our different, our different programs that we've launched at AHS through HR. Um, there's going to be a, an orientation. Um, we're going to have goals. Um, there's going to be also an orientation for the mentor to assure that somebody who signs up to be a mentor is going to keep their obligation as far as meeting with their mentee as part of their regular cadence and their, in their, you know, weekly or monthly, um, uh, agenda so that, you know, there's not a mentee out there that gets a mentor that's not, doesn't have the ability to meet with them. Um, this also, we're thinking about weaving it in into the growth space coaching. So um, an another thing that we plan to discuss with ELT and the management group is, would this be the natural, um, you know, um, marriage between um, being in this program and also being in growth space and participating in the executive coaching. We haven't determined that, so we're gonna get feedback on that. Um, and we're gonna select senior leaders um, to be mentors to the different uh, mentees. And then we'll have a monthly meeting. It'll be like a monthly mentor circle. Right, and it'll be facilitated by either somebody from my learning and development team or somebody from HR. Any questions? And who's uh, providing the training 
to become mentors to the senior leaders? Is that growth space or some other? No, that's our organization learning and development team. And, um, and that, you know, our um, director of learning is also an executive coach. So she has her coaching certificate as well. Next slide. I'm just transitioning to cultural improvement. So another exciting thing we're gonna be offering is emotional intelligence training. We have, um, it says vendor DB Bedford, but DB Bedford is a person and he is from Oakland, he's local. He was recommended by several different people. As you can see, um, he does various trainings. Um, we have an initiative um, ongoing at AHS that started last month that's called civility training. And we've um, done, I think two trainings at San Leandro so far. Um, and we'd like to roll that out on a bigger scale. Um, he, uh, DB Bedford also does civility training and um, he'll be doing a lot of the training throughout the whole organization. As you can see, um, he's going to be visiting most of our campuses and we envision that we would probably be able to offer more individuals in ambulatory in San Leandro and John George um, if need be because excuse me, several of these, um, these are the numbers of estimate of people to participate. Of course, we won't get that participation level. So we'll open them up for other people to participate as we have availability. Lorna, how do, how do we come to the assessment um, that, that these, that, 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 uh, this representative of four Highland Emergency, Highland Respiratory, San Leandro Emergency, San Leandro Operating Room, are the subcultures where incivility and bullying prevail. How did we come to that assessment? Um, many different factors, but I would say the main one that made us start looking into it was um, requests from the management team, right? Okay. Uh, and the number of grievances Got it. and the number of investigations. And Got so it. Uh, it seems to be that there's, there's some correlation between being in high stress departments, right? And also yeah, not the other yeah. Yeah, and there's a breakdown in communication or there is, um, um, you know, frayed nerves, whatever. There's, there's probably many factors that contribute to the overall atmosphere that makes it this way, but sure. that's how we got to the need to bring in outside training. We started with um, doing a civility training that is, um, was born out of um, the Oregon State Board, Board of Nursing. Um, that did a training last year that was really um, fabulous. And we modified that and started giving that, um, you know, internally with our own in internal facilitators, I being one. And what we, what we found was we needed more. We needed more of these trainings. We needed to offer them frequently. I mean, I'm talking on every shift with the people's ability to do breakout sessions and really discuss the core issues of what happens. And so that's why we brought in this outside resource. Oh yeah, I'm I, I, I'm a big, big fan of emotional intelligence. I'm just trying to see how we make the data to sort of make decisions. So I think what I heard is from these four departments, you had the greatest density of, I guess, either self-reports of issues or disciplinary issues coming out. That that led us to make the assessment that these four were where we where a focus should be made. Is that does that sound right? That sounds right. Okay, great. And of course, we always get leader buy-in, right? If the leader really encourages us to come in and to do lots of facilitation and training. And um, another aspect of HR that we do within the HR partner and labor world is we do facilitation or facilitated conversations. And we get the most requests kind of concentrated in these departments. Got it. Thank you. Next slide. Um, Lorna, one, one question. Um, I was sure. really glad to see like the DEI, uh, how you describe it, you have belongingness as uh, belonging as well. This is like really, again, part of like adding more to DEI than just inclusion or diversity, but really creating a profound sense of ownership and belongingness uh, um, among the staff. So will this emotional training that's looking at like uh, bullying and civility training and things also include like some of the other ways in which othering and belonging happens like a, those subcultures happen as well and like be addressing that as well 
I don't see um, actually that being presented by DB Bedford, but we do have a very um, good candidate of a different type of training we're trying to facilitate in-house. And um, thank you, Trustee Blue, for providing me Carrie's name because um, I've been playing phone tag with a physician leader or psychiatrist, I'm not sure, um, uh, to try to get um, a meeting with her to come in and do more DEI specific training. Um, we have um, a contingency of staff that are at John George that we have to facilitate some type of training, but it's so specific. We really haven't been able to find somebody who has the background um, to be able to address these types of issues with colorism. And so um, this individual that um, Trustee Blue had um, coordinated my, you know, my meeting with um, is an expert in this area. So we foresee doing kind of a similar agreement, hopefully, um, with her to come in and really address those DEI issues. Thank you. Nice. And especially because as you're even doing some of these rolling details small, some of these are so context specific, like facility specific and context are as much as one can get, like real mm -hmm. data from what are the contextual uniqueness and challenges in the different facilities that that's also helpful. Very helpful. One of the problems we ran into, and we're not unique in this space because I've talked to other um, health systems through the California Hospital Association and Washington Hospital Association is um, DEI experts are hard to find right now, especially very yeah. specialized published ones because of the state of the world. Um, you know, so uh, I was very glad to get this contact from Trustee Blue. Um, on the same topic, our affinity group. So um, we have had on our website for several months, the application, the toolkit, it's on our HETI website. Um, our HETI is our umbrella, um, uh, or, you know, organizationally to um, address issues of health equity, diversity and inclusion and belonging. And um, we hadn't got a lot of um, traction until recently. So I'm very happy to be able to tell all of you that we do have two groups that are being stood up. One is the African-American um, Employees and Ally Group, um, and the other is the Latinx and Ally Group. Um, so um, I'm gonna be helping these two organizations set up their first meetings, write their bylaws. They're gonna need help also from some of our HETI leaders that are members of HETI, but um, since um, we created the, the toolkit, we thought we would be very, you know, we are going to be, um, basically part and parcel of the committee to help them set up this, the committee substructure because it can be very confusing how to set up a Zoom account if they don't have one. And actually our first um, individual that set up the African-American and ally group um, didn't have access to many things. So we're, we're partnering together to come up and meet and to um, start the process of forming the group and we hope to have an announcement out um, probably in February um, for people to join the very first meeting. So we're excited about that. Um, really encouraging others. So get the word out. I'd love to see an LGBTQ plus. Um, also would love to see an Asian group and any other group, veterans group. I could think of a million different groups, um, but we are excited about the two first groups standing up. Um, Again, we're going to be working with HETI, also the Workforce Development Task Force will also assist um, both of the founding group members to um, get off the ground and start. That's, that's progress. <laughs> that's real it progress because it's been in the making for several months now, since last year, just right. trying to get um, our, our staff to get you know, interested in established, establishing affinity groups. So that this is good. This is good. It's really good. I, I, I think once we, you know, the people that took the initiative to start the group, I think there's always hesitancy about how much work am I signing up for, right? And that's what stopped people from actually 
um, doing anything about, you know, they had interest, right, but they didn't want to take on this really difficult position of standing up the organization. But now that we have had our two people come forward um, with a group of collective group behind each one of them to stand up the groups, um, we think that once we announce the meetings and, um, you know, once they start working on their subcommittee structure, that um, we will get much more interest. So we're excited about it. Something to think about, um, Lorna, is, is if we do um, a contract with Dr. Carrie Brown, this might be a, something that, she, you know, she could help also with. That's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. That would be wonderful. So more to come. I'll have an update about our, you know, meeting with um, Dr. Carrie Mitchell Brown at our next meeting and um, yeah, we're excited. So we have a lot of things um, in the making. Great. So is that it? Are we done? Oh, I see a hand up, tap. Hi, Lorna, uh, thanks for that presentation. Uh, obviously a lot of thought and hard work has gone into that. And I uh, am of the opinion that this is worthwhile hard work, but Here's my question, given my position. How do we know that all this hard work is going to pay off? Where, where, where does our return on investment come? And I guess my question comes in the guise of, what is our metric for success? How do we know that all this hard work is moving the needle? Do we, do we have something to globally address this? Do, uh, so if you look at our HR dashboard, which we just put out, we don't, we don't have anything that sort of globally address employee satisfaction. Do we have a net promoter score? All these kind of things. So can you talk to me about your vision of how we quantify this pronounced effort that you're putting in? Again, I'm fully supportive of it. I just wanna know, oh yeah, this moved the needle 4% or this moved the needle 25% in 18 months. I see the overall um, return on the investment of, um, you know, I should see a decrease in um, turnover for one would be the really um, the big the biggest largest threshold that I'm looking to move. Um, I'm seeing the investment in people's career trajectory by investing in growth space and giving them access to career development and executive coaching that they'll turn around and want to have that career here, especially if we link that with um, our internal structure to help people get to that next job, right? Because we do have two departments internally that look at um, workforce development, right? Um, so I, the first threshold I would see would be those numbers and the turnover numbers would go down. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think with each one, like um, DB Bedford, I think we'll, we'll see that um, hopefully in those departments that are hard hit with these issues, we would see the grievances go down. I would see the request for facilitated um, conversations go down. Um, I would see um, the level of just discord go down um, it, just from incident investigations as well. Um, so I, I'm hopeful about that. But ultimately, I see this culminating not only in the culture of safety scores, which does have a lot of questions that are very pointed towards employees' engagement and satisfaction with their work life here and their um, trust in the organization. Um, we should see improvement in those numbers. But ultimately, come fast forward to fall 2022, I hope to see when we do the overall um, employee satisfaction survey, I want to see that it's went up since 2019. 2019, we had a survey, we didn't publish the results because they were too negative. I wanna publish those results regardless of if they're good or bad. Absolutely. We have to start somewhere, right? right? And right. so that will be a really, a, a, a great point in time we'll be able to measure. But for right now, we're going to have to use a combination of things. We're going to have to use turnover. We're going to have to use culture of safety numbers, right, from last year. Um, number of grievances going down. We're going to have to use a few measures until we can get to that employee satisfaction survey. I, I do. Yeah, so I, thanks for that answer. I do wonder about, you know, um, about put, putting that up front in, in, on our HR, HR dashboard, which the board sees, you know. And I know some organizations, you know, the, 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 the employee satisfaction is sort of an annualized one. I knew some organizations do quarterly, quote, pulse checks and, and relatively simple ones 
you know, maybe a net promoter score or what is your engagement? And I do wonder about that because you can see the ebbs and tides of how that would, I like, I can imagine what our patient sat, our employee satisfaction would have been in October of, you know, 2020, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and, and, and watching it move and ebb and flow, because I think that there are sometimes that, that people can be satisfied with their job, but still leave the organization for family or what have you. So th I think those don't necessarily correlate because I care deeply about culture and uh, I'm just trying to help out with whatever measurements rather than the, the indirects. And now I'll shut up. Yeah, I'll I, take back I mean, all the feedback. <laughs> yeah. And I would assume like with growth space that they'll develop um, with Lorna and her team, you know, an evaluation tool because it's just not going to be a one-up evaluation. It's going to be over, maybe it's every month or however long it, that takes, right? So that we can measure that. And then um, at least SEIU uh, 10 to 1, they are involved in terms of helping us track grievances and to see if it matches what um, the health system has so that we can track departments. And sometimes we can get down to individuals that seem to be getting grievances filed against them or complaints filed against them. So that we're working we can, on that, yeah. um, Trustee yeah. Blue, just so you know, um, I've been working with Emma, the new director um, over the reps for 10 to one. And we uh -huh. are sharing um, the same template and we are, you know, we meet every other week. So we meet on a consistent basis and by sharing the template and, and really being able to identify those issues and those clusters um, within departments, or maybe they're attributable to a leader or systemic issues. I think that will be um, great progress for us. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes um, to try to come to some coordinated efforts and partnership with the union. Lovely. And I would think that because of the different strands of this work that you have, the emotional intelligence, the mentor, mentee, that like some of those will cross pollinate too, like what is, uh, you know, what resonates with the staff as you're learning from first year like the in new incoming folks from the mentee programs, mentor mentee and some of those so that some of those metrics are things that, you know, you know from the management or from the consultants point of view. And some of those are coming from the participants themselves about like what, what really um, resonate with them like in, in when they participate in a program like this, what are they looking for, what, what, what you know, what are, what are the metrics like they want to see as they are changing and developing their career trajectory or, uh, you know, growth phase over there. So, yeah, but lots of exciting things. Thank you. Yeah, I think for a future meeting, Lorna, it'd be good to meet uh, Mr. Bedford, right? So that, you know, uh, members, of, members of the committee can ask questions about his program, right? And if he's, um, well, hopefully by the time we meet again, he will have at least one or two sessions that he can, you know, share, you know, his take on it. And likewise with um, Dr. Carrie Brown, you know, in terms of what comes up there. No, definitely be happy to do that. All right, any other questions? Okay, anything else that we should talk about? Bring up uh, that hasn't been talked about today for the next meeting? Okay. I'm taking okay. suggestions. Yeah, yeah, because the other thing that Lauren and I had discussed that we could meet more frequently depending on what concerns are raised, right? If we need to bear down on one particular item so that we have more time. All right. Yeah. We, I wonder can I say one last thing? Maybe at some point, um, it, it, there's been, you know, it's been, it's probably not since hopefully Omicron will be um, not, 
not a huge issue by the time we meet again, <laughs> fingers crossed. But um, as we all know, there's been regulatory permissions given to um, change certain requirements with regard to, to the, and AHS hasn't taken advantage of these with regard to um, return to work after infection and also with regard to um, staffing ratios, things like that. So I just would like to maybe have that come up at a future meeting. What are those, mm -hmm. you know, the, our, what are our staffing ratios? What are our requirements? What, um, you know, if we were to face another pandemic or if this pandemic continues, keeping patients safe is a priority. Keeping employees safe is a huge priority. But then, you know, having staff available is a priority as well. So just throwing that out there. Sure, I can invite employee health to also come and present Tracy to talk about a lot of those things um, that you asked. And I know, yeah, cause I know some um, hospitals, some acute care and hospitals did decide to um, allow staff to come in without quarantining for the full time, the full CDC recommended period of time. And we of course didn't do that. And so, you know, there's checks and balances and Sure. You're talking about critical staffing, allowing um, COVID positive asymptomatic right. staff to work with right. COVID patients. Okay. Yeah, definitely. We could um, incorporate some employee health metrics as well. We have fuller decks of metrics we could present along with that, if that's something that the um, committee is interested in looking at. You know, I mean, I, I kind of would be interested... I think that you that maybe employee health and, and you as well, Lorna and your staff, you could look or you would see um, just as um, see the the whole picture of what our staff looks like and seeing the infection rates and seeing what would what would it look like if we if we allowed asymptomatic um, infected staff to come back, which I wouldn't support or recommend, but you know given that we have had issues with, um, as we heard recently, we've had issues with um, low staffing and with staff calling in at, at some sites, et cetera. So those are things that have to cross the minds of leaders. James, I'm looking at you by Zoom, you know, just um, something to think about and that might be a relevant topic for this committee. Now I'm looking at Louisa. <laughs> yeah, and then in terms of staffing ratios, we can definitely bring in experts so that people get a basic understanding of what are the uh, nurse to patient ratios as established by Title 22. Because there's also mechanisms in place under Title 22 to report violations of the staffing ratios. I agree. And that often comes up as a, you know, by even by uninformed people saying, oh, why don't you just not have so many nurses, right? And that, that, that happens all be, the time. Right. <laughs> it does. But, you know, we do have guidelines. And then um, I think California's Department of Public Health, they've also established, right, quarantine, isolation days. Um, it's unfortunate it's different across the nation be nice to have one set. Right, no, that's great. I mean, and maybe yeah. even Dr. Moss or the public health leaders in the county might be able to um, to provide some information about this. Yeah. Thanks. All right, anything else? Okay, everybody have a good evening. Bye. Bye. Good night.